0: This Sunday, we're just going to finish up our series on Powered Up and on the gifts of the Holy, or uh, the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And the last one that we're going to talk about today is self-control. And this one's not the least one. And I think as we look at it today, my hope as we talk about it is that this is probably one of our most important for the witness of us to the world, the way that we practice self-control. I was reading this article in the Associated Press And it reported that this president of this Midwestern Theological Seminary uh, was fired after the trustees determined that his temper had imperiled his leadership. So it wasn't any sexual misconduct or, you know, anything along those lines, but it was his temper that caused him to be fired. So the president, he confessed this misappropriation of anger. And after hours of agonizing discussion and interviews with the president and the vice presidents, they dis- determined the board that, you know what, his expressions of anger actually have been detrimental to his leadership. And so they let him go. So you think about it, years that he would have went to school to study, to, to learn more in depth about the scripture so that he can portray it in a, an amazing way, to lead a theological institution nonetheless. And the thing that was his downfall was his anger, that he didn't have self-control over it. And as we think about this and as we look in our world, I think we can 100% agree on that our world lacks self-control. Yeah, amen. That's maybe one amen. Amen. Here we go. Yeah. And so we think about debt. Debt is at its all-time high. The average amount of debt, I think, for a household I read was like over $100,000. And it's like up 2% from last year. We think about the sexual desires of our world, like sex trafficking at all-time high. We think pornography. It's a multi-billion dollar business one of the most successful businesses in terms of cash that they would say that's out there, unbelievable. Thank you. Prostitution, all time high. Advertisements, and when we see any advertisements, you know the saying that sex sells it, it, we see it all around us. Our tongue. This is probably one of the most prevalent, I think, through the last two years. The lack of control of the human tongue. You know, we look on Facebook and we're like, well, Facebook's not me saying anything. It's simply me hypothesizing my ideas in a public forum. But the reality is those are your words then actually just put on paper now. And so, and, but we see the things that are being said and the lack of control. But then maybe when you sit with somebody across them face to face, they seem to have tamed it. But the reality is what people do in the darkness is really evident of where their heart is. Obesity. This is where my home nation really thrives at. Um, As the Americans, we are the most obese nation in the whole world. I'm not sure if that's like a Boy Scouts badge of honor we want to be wearing or not, but it's how people cope with their problems in life. Have you ever heard of the marshmallow test? It's going to pop up here among the many travels of the last 18 months, we've realized we don't have a mouse and we don't have a clicker. And so Morley's going to have to be super attentive today. Oh, we found the mouse. We found the mouse. Things are coming back together slowly but surely. So the marshmallow test is this, a book wrote by Walter Michelle, and it says, why self-control is the engine of success. And so His whole hypothesis of this book is saying that the key for individuals to have success in life is that those who are the most controlled over self will be actually the most successful. So they ran this test called the marshmallow test. Has anybody heard the marshmallow test? Here we go. This is exciting. Um, The marshmallow test is this. They would put a kid ages three to five in a room by themselves. Then they put a marshmallow in the room. And then they would tell this kid, when I get back, if you haven't eaten this marshmallow, you'll get two marshmallows. <laughs> and so what they, so you could see this kid anguishing. And so they, he's left the room. He's really thinking. He's like, well, do I really want to do it? Oh, I'm not sure. I really want to eat the marshmallow. And he's looking at the marshmallow, talking to it, and then he's hiding the marshmallow now. Now he's like, maybe I do want to eat it. And so he sniffs it. And then he finally caves in and he eats the marshmallow. And so uh, the reason is this, is that they're saying what they did now is after, they did this 20 years ago. And so they came back on the data of those who ate the marshmallow and those who waited for the second marshmallow. And they said that those who waited for the second marshmallow were more successful in life because they were able to inhibit self-control. And those who ate the marshmallow, they really gave into their inhibitions throughout life and maybe they, have not, they weren't as successful as those who ate or waited for the second marshmallow. See, self-control is, not, is a, not a flashy concept or an easily attractive idea. It doesn't maybe turn heads or grab headlines. It can be easily small as saying no to another fry or no to another milkshake or maybe just to say, I'm going to stop scrolling on Facebook or it can feel as significant as living out a resounding yes to sobriety and to sexual sexual purity. Self-control, this hyphenated English word is frank and it's functional. There's no cloak of imagery, no euphemistic kind of pretense, there's no punches pulled, there's no poetic twist, there's no endearing irony. Self-control is simply that important impressive and nearly impossible practice sometimes it feels like of learning to maintain control of the beast of one's own sinful passions. So it means mastering your own domain not only in the hunky-dory but also when it's trial or temptation that comes upon us. Self-control is the epitome of I feel like easier said than done sometimes. And it's the most important virtue, I believe, in living out this Christian life. So it's the, here we go, it's the climactic, yes, fruit of the Spirit in Apostle Paul's famous list, but it's the first thing that must be characterized of leaders in the church. So it might be last in the list of the fruits of the Spirit, but it's the first thing that is being said to Timothy and in Titus for, for leaders in the church. It's the most important thing, and for leaders in our home. Self-control is even described like this in Proverbs 25, 28. It likens a man without self-control to a city broken into and left without walls. You just think about that imagery for a second. Think about a fort that is torn down. My child yesterday, he was making a fort and it was very penetrable. It was easy to get into. He had missed certain blankets, things were falling apart. But you think about that with our, when we lack self-control, Things are easily can come in and out. It's like a city broken into and left without walls. Christian self-control, it's multifaceted. It involves this, both one's behavior and impulses, but also the emotions that are beneath that. So it includes our minds and our emotions. Not just our outward actions, but our internal state, what's actually happening inside of our hearts. All right, now let's look at Galatians 5, 22 to 23. If you have your Bibles, you can open to them. If not, the yeah, scripture's going to pop here on the screen. And this is what we've been working through this whole summer, the fruit of the Spirit. And it says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So when we hear this word self-control right at the end, it actually, it throws back to the list that Paul described just before he went into the fruits of the Spirit. And it says this in Galatians 5, 19 to 21. This is this horrendous list that he had talked about right before he, t- he said the fruits of the Spirit. He said this, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes on to explain the fruits of the Spirit. Self-control really connects back to that. Right? If we lack self-control, if we don't have the control of Christ within our hearts and our minds, we, we definitely fall into some of these things. Many of the behaviors that Paul lists shows human nature out of control, right? And it's sinful, excessive, worse. Self-control is the opposite of these kind of sinful behaviors is what Paul is trying to say. So the Greek word Translated self control is a combination of actually two words, N, E N, and Kratos. So N means in, and Kratos means strength, power, might, or dominion. So Kratos is actually a word that's been passed on in our English language in words like this, in words like democratic. So demo means people, Kratic means power or rule, Theocratic, Theo means God mean power or rule, or autocratic. Auto means self, and necratic means power or rule. And so as we make hundreds of decisions each and every day, and this week, and we feel the emotions of everything that's happening in our life and everything that's going on, who decides what's going to do, what's going to happen? Who decides who's going to make the decision? Is it democratic, theocratic, or autocratic? Self-control is one of the greatest abilities that we can have. One of the best. However, we must not misunderstand and think that it is our ability that helps us and gives us kratos. So, Professor Michel, in the book, he preaches the gospel of distraction and of distancing. And this is what our world tries to tell us. To distract us, to distance us from it. So the children who succeed in that marshmallow experiment... They turned their backs on the cookie. Maybe they even pushed it away. Or they pretended it was something that was non edible like a piece of wood. Or they even invented a song to sing while they were waiting for those 10 minutes to take their mind off of it. Instead of, maybe just, eat, instead of just staring down the cookie, they transformed it into something less throbbing that maybe that wouldn't pull on their heart so much. So if you change how you think about it, it does impact your feelings. It maybe changes it a bit. And this is a good place to start, right? The Bible talks about turning our back to sin, to to walk away from it. But it's where you turn your eyes and your attention to after you've turned your back on that. Yes, it might help cause a diversion when you turn your back for a second. You might say, I'm going to turn my back on this. I'm going to walk away from this, and it's going to be okay. And yes, that might be true for a minute. But the source of true change and real power, it's outside of ourselves. actually. It's nothing that we can actually do. The key to self-control is not inward, but it's upward. Biblical self-control, or lack thereof, goes to the deepest part of us. It goes to our hearts. And this is where it begins. Letting the Lord work on our heart so he has control of everything inside of us. It begins with control of our emotions, and then it includes our mind. In several places, the language of self-control applies specifically and especially to the mind. Romans 12, 3 says this, "...not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think." but to exercise a form of self control thinking with sober judgment and so this is huge for us to think maybe not ourselves as highly as we do cuz when we think we're so great and we're so high then pride sneaks in and then we think that we can do it on our own then we think very theo very autocratic that we can think about ourselves and we can do this by ourselves paul instructs christians and he says to keep our, our emotions under control. To keep our emotions under control. This is something we're really trying to teach our kids right now. Our emotions, they can dictate, yes, let us know how we are feeling. And they can ha- help us understand what we're going through in this moment. But the, what we don't want to let our emotions do is take over. Because when they take over, they become the thing then that controls us. And so the question for us as Christians if self-control is so significant and if indeed it can be taught then how do I go pursuing it as a Christian? And the first question we really need to ask ourselves is this. Is your self-control democratic? Is it autocratic? Or is it theocratic? Do you find yourself your self-control in people? Do you find it in yourself or do you find it in God? Do you really let people control how you feel and then therefore they make help form your decisions? Or do you so prideful maybe they're like, I can do this by myself. I can do this on my own and you make your decisions for you? Are you simply just saying, God, I need you more than anything and I constantly need to lay down my life to you because the world's constantly trying to put its pressures upon me. It's constantly trying to make decisions for me. Lord, I need the, your self-control in my life. Self-control is a hard to find a matching quality with God. And let me explain this. Because God does not need to exercise self-control over any sinful tendencies within himself. God does not have to hold in check any evil desires. The Bible teaches about the love of God. We hear about it. We hear about the peace of God. We hear about his patience. We hear about his kindness. We hear about his goodness, his faithfulness, and his gentleness. But saying God needs self-control... That on the other side, that means he is battling sin or, you know, he is about to sin. But what we see is this. We actually see stories of Jesus where he's being challenged and tempted. And think if that was me, and I think if that was me, would I have the self-control to do what Jesus did? That's how I perceive it. When I see Jesus being tempted and he succeeded in being tempted, he came through on the other side. But what we think of Jesus being tempted by the devil, I put myself in there and I say this, would I have given in? When we think of Jesus being beaten and we think of him being mocked and we think of him being run out of towns, would I have had the self-control not to fight back? What Jesus is showing us actually is that if you want the self-control of him, you actually have to come close to him. Jesus is showing us that life in the Spirit will give us the strength that Jesus portrayed in those those situations. Constantly drawing close to Christ. When we constantly draw close to Him, we feel the self-control of Christ in our lives. Now, Paul's letter to Timothy. Paul had brought Timothy to faith, and he commissioned him to do the work of an evangelist and a church leader. So Paul wrote to Timothy, who was in leadership in the church of Ephesus, and in it, it's exhortation to faithfulness and to stand firm in the truth in the face of opposition. But it includes this wonderful promise of this gift that God has given to Timothy, and to you, and to me, and to all of us. 2 Timothy 2.7 says this, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. In the ESV, it actually says this, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Some even say it in a sound mind. Sorry if I keep touching my ear. It's not this nervous tick that I picked up in the last 18 months. It's because I'm not used to having the mic and my glasses and I feel like I'm falling off here. And so, so if you touch my ear, you can count how many times I touch my ear, If I, I guess, if you want. Thank you. So the fascinating thing to me, that the one of the things that the Spirit of God does in us is gives us self-control. That's one of the three things that are said. It's, not, it's love and power and, a, and self-control. And we think, you know what, he's going to give us the spirit to prophesy, and that's very true. And he gives us this, there's sometimes a spirit to heal, and that's very true. But one of the three things is love power and self-control. Self-control being in one of those three. Now the Spirit of God is given as a gift to all those who trust in His Son Jesus and confess in Him as Lord. And we live in the age of the abundance of the Spirit. And it's poured out on believers. And we see that in Acts chapter 2. And it's available to all of us. So the Bible makes it clear that the Spirit of God, which is His presence, active and alive in the world today, does all kinds of things in God's church and in His people. So we get the assurance of adoption to sonship, So you know you are loved, and the Spirit in us then illuminates the Word and gives us revelation, and the Spirit, as we see, produces fruit in our lives. It changes our character, and then the Spirit gives us gifts for service in the church and the mission, and it makes us useful. And finally, the Spirit pours the love of God in our hearts. So here's the interesting thing. One of the greatest gifts given to us is self-control. This is one of the greatest gifts given to us, self-control. If it's one of the greatest gifts given to us, self control, it's one of the most impactful gifts for our community as we walk out showing what a life of self control looks like. It's not of timidity or, or fear or cowardice, but of love, power, and of self control. And so as followers of Jesus, we get a spirit of self-discipline, And so as we continue to walk with Him, as we continue to draw close to him, as we continue to discipline our lives, to be with Him, we become more disciplined in our walk. Every fruit of the spirit, it can be undermined by a lack of self-control. Think about that faithfulness. If you don't have self-control, how how can you be so faithful? Gentleness. If you don't have self-control and someone's upset with you, how can you be gentle? As we cooperate with God, we find ourselves not out of control, but able to live lives of love, joy, peace, patience, faithfulness, and so on. This is the fruit that ties it together. Self-control does not limit us. To the contrary, it frees us to follow Jesus more closely. So Tim Keller, he describes it like this. He describes self-control in these, these three ways. He said this is the definition. The ability to choose the important thing over the urgent. He said there's an opposite to this. And we see the opposite as maybe a driven, impulsive, uncontrolled person. And he said, there's a counterfeit to this, actually. There's willpower through pride or through more functional idols that we seem, oh, those are okay because they seem functional to us. Let me explain this, these, these a bit more. The opposite of a self-controlled person is driven, impulsive, uncontrolled. That person compulsively goes after what they want and they pursue it to the point of actually being driven. They may believe they are self-controlled and disciplined in their pursuit of it, but this desire becomes the first thing they think about and the thought that compels them until they satisfy that desire. They're like, I cannot stop until I satisfy that desire. Most often, they find that attaining the prize they pursued does not actually provide the satisfaction that they were looking for and the fulfillment that they thought they would get. So they are possessed with going a bit further, driving a bit more, and it's off to the races again. Persons without self-control will mow others down in their drive to get what they feel they need or deserve. And I liken this to Samson, who could strangle a lion, but could not strangle his own love. He burst the feathers of foes, but not the cords of his own lust. Driven to that, he could, and it's, when he got it, was not satisfied. Needed more. He burned the crops of others and lost the fruit of his own virtue when burning the flame kindled by a single woman. Then there's this counterfeit self-control. It's a step beyond the driven nature of the opposite of self-control. The counterfeit version actually does involve willpower, but is not for the good of others and certainly is not produced by abiding in Jesus and having the Spirit of God shape our natures in reaction. So it is willpower exercise. For the personal good of that person, I have willpower because this actually helps me more. Rather, for the purpose of achieving a goal, and maybe it's pacifying an idol a bit. So this idol could be physical fitness, a relationship, a job, a position, a financial security. Anything they believe will make them more significant. And this idol is what drives them, and the pride that comes from this accomplishment is what drives them. Counterfeit self-control can be seen in the Sadducees, believed to be following the religious requirements, but it became an idol to them. It became their status and their position, became functional. Or we could be like David, to choose the important thing over the urgent. And you may be like, David, David in the Bible, um, I really feel like he gave in to his urges. There's some of those stories, but there are some stories of David where he gave in, or he followed the most important thing rather than the urgent. And we see this in 1 Samuel 24. In this chapter, Saul was chasing David and trying to kill him. David spent many days and nights hiding. And someone told Saul where David was. So Saul went into a cave to use the bathroom. But as he went into that cave to use the bathroom, David and his men were actually hiding in there. And so David actually snuck up on him and cut a piece of Saul's robe off without him even knowing. But David, he could have killed Saul, who was trying to kill him, but David showed self-control because he knew that God, God still wanted Saul to be king. It said this, this is the, we can go back one there, Morley, thank you for being on top of it, though. <laughs> this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands. For you to deal with as you wish. This is what David's men said to him. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And it continued. Afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. And then David went on to say this to Saul, for by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. David knew that God had a plan for Saul, and he trusted God, even though he couldn't have acted to protect it in his own, his own emotions to keep himself safe and to take out his enemy, but he chose not to. He said, look, I could have killed you. Here's a piece of your rope, but I chose not you. But on the other side, if, what if Saul would have saw him cut the, go for a piece of his robe? What do you think would have happened? David could have been killed, David showed self-control because he knew God's plan needed to be in God's timing. And this is huge for us, for us to walk in self-control, to know that God has a plan, to know that God is looking out for us, to know that as we follow him, good things happen. As we give ourselves to him, as we are theocratic in our lives, that we aren't democratic or autocratic, when we are theocratic, we then begin to take on actually the importance of what God has. Rather than our own importance, what we think. David chose the important thing: following Christ, listening to his vo- voice. I'm just going to close here. I'll invite Julie and the worship team to come on up. Self-control is knowing this, who to submit to. It's about learning how to have our soul submitted to our spirit man. And it's our new spirit, man, that God's constantly working on. And we might stumble and we might fall. And that's what happens, honestly, yes. But as we continue to lay our life down for him, as we continue to say, I will follow you, as we continue to draw close to him and have a disciplined life of following him, we find that we want his things to be the most important things in our lives. Teaching our kids that there's desires that we all have. I and mean, the Lord knows those desires. But what we are trying to do in this life is to think about others, to think about those in need. Because then when we do that, we actually take our minds off of ourself and we put them on others. Then we begin to resemble a life that Jesus resembled, where he came, and it wasn't about his self, but it was about the others, Those that were distant from him. Those that needed to draw close to him. Those became the most important things to him. Self-control is a gift produced in and through us by God's spirit. And Christians can and should be the people on this planet most hopeful about growing in self-control. I want to leave you with this thought. Self-control, I believe, is our last moral apologetic. It is the virtue that we can practice in private and in public, which is utterly foreign to this culture. And the result will be twofold as we practice self-control, as we draw close to Jesus and we let him have control of our desires. First, we might be rejected, and this is very true. After all, we are living out the most fundamental vice of our modern value system, right? Our world is about whatever you want, whatever urge you have. If you're feeling this way, explore it. Go ahead. Who cares what might happen on the other side of that path? But you are feeling it, so you explore it. But the second, and I think that some people will see this, that there's something in us actually worth emulating. A long lost virtue which cannot be found anywhere else in this culture, actually. The virtue of self control. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that as we draw close to you, Lord, that you then begin to show us the most important things, Lord. Lord, uh, our lives begin to line up with you, Lord. Our emotions and our heart begin to line up with yours, Father. And we want to be directed by you, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you came to show us a life of self-control. And the way to obtain a life where we have this fruit of self-control is actually by drawing close to you because you are the one who shows us that through you we can have power over those things that try to grab at us. So Lord, as we leave this space, let's ask the question. Maybe this past week, have I been very democratic? I'm not talking a political term here. We're talking about, are we people? How are people driven in our self-control? Concerned about what they think? Are we auto? Or are we just concerned about what I want, what I feel, the power that I deserve? Or are we more theocratic? God, what do you want? Lord, I want your power and your rule to be in my life. Amen.